Okay, high time now for our tune of the week. Come on, let's go. This is the Media Industry Guru Show, the show that exposes you to entertainment, music, film, TV, and tech. We're online 24-7, 24-7. You're listening to the hottest internet station. And we are back on the Media Industry Guru Podcast. Happy Tuesday Eve. And today we are interviewing Jordan Harari. He grew up in the Bay Area and attended University of San Francisco and now works in the music licensing and clearancing department for a big studio. So we are going to interview him about his day-to-day, what it entails, as well as his background going from the agency side to the studio side. So let's welcome Jordan to the podcast, where he'll share his insights and a good article about music licensing. Hey, Jordan, welcome to the Media Industry Guru podcast, and very excited to hear all things about your world within the licensing and clearancing space of the music industry. Thanks so much, Forbes. Happy to get down to it, explain to you how that all works. Can you tell us about what got you interested in this side of the industry versus, I mean, the music industry is so eclectic, there's different sectors. So what led you to this route? Yeah, so the music industry, like many industries, there's so many different types of positions that are good for people of different skill sets. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're familiar, people explaining, you might, you could boil down people to just being either a buyer or a seller. So with looking into that, I've always been a person who really loved music. I also have been a person who's really loved film and television. And what kind of inspired me to pursue the type of work that I have right now in clearance, I can credit a friend who worked for a supervision house. And his position was a a little different than what I do right now. He worked for a supervision house that mostly used raw footage of TV shows and films, and they would use licensed music. They would find the right music that fit for whatever the project was. And my friend was very good at suggesting good tracks. And I think it had even earned him a promotion because he was so good at saying, you should use this song for this. (laughs) And I thought that's a great type of job, especially because I wasn't sure if I had the aptitude to say work at a label, be a be an A&R person, for example, or I know from a colleague that there are jobs where your job is you represent the label's music and your job is just to go to every single different type of place that could buy the tracks, yeah. that could buy the whatever it is, the the masters, the, uh, the artist work that the label represents, and you're trying to sell that. My job, what it is, is we're working with actual films and we work for a whole department that's supposed to market the films Mm -hmm. in a few different aspects and where my team comes in is when they're putting out a trailer tv spot radio online influencer piece they're going to often use sound licensed sound effects and they're gonna Mm -hmm occasionally used a licensed song something they want to use to convince you go see this film and get you excited about what you're watching and from the onset i didn't necessarily know about the details when looking into this kind of work but i already knew that 
sounded really fun. That it, it's like what I'm saying, that blend of all those different mediums. And I've been at my company for nearly two years doing that. And I think it, it, it satisfied that sweet spot of it's music related, but it also played into my prior experience working in film and television. And backing up a little bit, you had <laughs> internships at Disney, MGM in college. Um, were those in kind of different departments rather than your current role? And also you worked at an agency for a few years too. So do, do any of the skill sets transfer over to your current role too? The most general way I would say all, all those positions you reference. What it contributed to is it taught me how to work in an entertainment office and mm -hmm. could also, in an even more general sense, just taught me how to be a working professional because I graduated from college with a media studies major with a business minor and then before graduating took a UCLA extension to learn about creative producing. Mm -hmm. But my point is I didn't come out with a tangible recognized skill. I wasn't learning to be a doctor. I wasn't earning a law degree. So it's just important to know it's the stuff they don't really teach you in school, just the politics of working with executives, learning about how film television is marketed. And in an agency, that's the reason I guess they're telling people, or they told me at least when I was graduating from school and expressed an interest in working in entertainment industry is Maybe you started an industry because you're going to learn so many things about different facets of the industry that even if you're not trying to be an agent, you'll at least get what's going on behind the scenes. And I could definitely say that I, could, I learned about uh, having worked at an agency for three years. I learned about if you're a writer, director, producer, at least someone aspiring to be that who's on the other end deciding uh, whether you're worth selling or look, worth looking into, worth pitching what do you have to do to wow them? How are they making their decisions about what gets made in the industry? And that was just helpful for me to know going from a smaller business and then to where I work right now, which is a large studio. And that, so it met the basic requirements of that position. And then I sort of learned the rest as I went about how music clearance and film marketing works. Yeah, I'm sure in the agencies, everybody tells me like it's analogous to the grad school of entertainment. You learn so much. Uh, it's the soft skills of entertainment that you acquire uh, from people of various different departments. And I'm sure that's transferred over to your current role, right? Uh, yeah, it is. And that, I, I think that's basically what I was getting at because it's something you're not really taught. And I remember I, I haven't worked as like a PA or on a set. I, I have friends who have. And I remember when looking into those types of jobs or thinking about, do I need to go to film grad school? Do, did I make a mistake? I wanted to work in the industry, but I didn't go to UCLA and get a major in something very film specific. Mm -hmm. And the constant refrain I heard is, I, I mean, I'm sure it's great if you do have that kind of education, but it's also as if you're going to learn more on a set, actually doing the job, just being thrown into the fire in a few weeks yeah. than you might actually going through an entire program. And I'm not disparaging such a thing, but I think I was just more of the type where once I got my general education at college, it was ready. I was ready just to get hands on or just sure. be in the working world. And now you're presently working in the licensing space. 
um, as a senior music clearance coordinator. So can you walk us through kind of what a day-to-day entails for those that aren't familiar with licensing or kind of inquisitive to learn? Yeah, so there's a few different components to it. So as I was getting at earlier, I'm at a, I'm at a studio. The studio has their own three theatrical marketing departments. And within that department, there's domestic handling the marketing for domestic releases. There's an international team doing the same thing for international markets. There's a creative content team, which means these are the people who are making, if you know what EPKs are, electronic press kits, uh, interviews, clips from films. So the... The things that aren't as easily identified as a trailer, TV spot, online piece. And then there's also the interactive departments for domestic and international, where that's where you might see an influencer or a social media specific piece. So the goal is the same. They have a film that uh, is being made for millions and millions of dollars, and they want to use their budgets to convince the whole entire world, you need to see this movie. And they're the people whose job it is to use their creative skills to say, okay, what are we going to make that, and that, that, which translates to trailer, TV spot, influencer piece, that, that's going to convince people to go see the, the movie. And they have their own vendors they work with who they consult with when they come up with their ideas about what they want to do and what they want to finish with. Where I come in, where my team comes in, is we are one of two or three different people they have to go through to say, hey, is this okay? This is what we came up with. What do you think? And what we're looking at is what music and sound effects did you use? We need first to know cue sheets are going to list every single sound effect song that's going to be used in a TV spot trailer. So yeah, so imagine there's a document and it's stuff where you might see a trailer for a movie. You hear the song and go, okay, that's a song they paid for that they had to get licensed for use in the trailer. The thing is that you didn't realize that every single other sound effect you heard, maybe it's something you weren't even paying attention to. That was also something that had to be documented and paid for. It's everything from the whoosh or the slam or the science fiction ray gun sound you heard. That's something someone made and paid for. I didn't at first, and how I'd explain it, a metaphor is if anyone's seen The Matrix where you see the matrix rain and the guy explains, oh, it looks like a bunch of green numbers to me but, or, or to you. But if you look closely, all I'm seeing is people because I'm so used to <laughs> seeing the machine behind what, what's really being displayed. And so for me, every time I see a trailer, even if it's something I had, I didn't even work on, came from a, another studio, I just subconsciously I'm able to process, okay, that's a sound effect. That's a sound effect. Could even be the exact same sound effects because you'd be surprised to learn almost every trailer if you're like hey that kind of sounded familiar good chance it's the same thing and, and so what we're doing is so we're making sure we know what's being used we're reaching out to figure out how much it's going to cost to to pay for everything in the spot they only have to pay for it once but we have to under we have to clarify with the people whether it's the domestic international creative content team what are they using it for? What rights do they want? And then our ultimate job is just, it, it all comes down to an email where we explain, this is what she gave us. This is what's in it. This is how long, uh, these are all the sound effects. This is how, uh, this is the timing. Cause you have to make sure you use it for an exact amount of time or you don't exceed it a certain time. And this is where you are allowed to display it 
and from there the um the ball uh keeps rolling and then they decide what they want to do with it but our job is just to give them that advice um that kind of advice so do you deal with any of the pros um with royalties and all that compensation or is that a totally different department and uh you heal you deal with um kind of the incoming of well so how that works is so we're not dealing exactly with the pros which uh, in case anyone less familiar doesn't understand it's there are organizations representing composers representing publishers and when a track or a type or or an entire song is licensed Mm -hmm. people like us have to know okay well who composed it who's the publisher who owns the track so then Yes, so we know who's to be compensated, who owns the rights. And so for our job is just to make sure we have that information. And then it's someone else who's actually dealing with the processing of the payments. And sometimes we don't even have 100% of that information, but we just, uh, but we're aware, uh, but we eventually get it. If we If we don't get it at first on the cue sheet, it becomes final once we have the documentation affirming that we have the right to use the track for what was licensed. Mm, very cool. And what were, what have been some like past experiences that you've really enjoyed, memorable or very rewarding parts about your role? The first thing that really excited me was these are films that, these aren't small pieces that no one ever sees. These are some of the biggest films that If you live around where I am, you might just see, you can't go a few steps without seeing them on a billboard or on a, uh, being advertised like on, on a bus or whenever I'm in a movie theater with friends and the studio I work for, when we see the trailers, I'll whisper, oh, I did that, which I didn't really do that. What I'm getting at is (laughs) I had to review 50 different versions of whatever you saw on screen and made sure it was used for the purposes that it came out the way it was legally supposed to. So there was sort of an enjoyment in that and sort of like, I'm getting to see the inner workings, how the sausage is made, the behind the scenes of getting to see it all early. And also seeing what kind of creative decisions are made about, well, what kind of shots do we want? It does stuff that doesn't necessarily have to do with me, but it's just interesting to know, oh, that's how these things get made. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, it's just been... I think it's like I've been saying, I've enjoyed the blend of film and music that I'm not necessarily in one world. I have skills that are applicable to both industries, working for a film studio, but working for working within a music specific job. And I think what's also great is the studio I work with is very encouraging for us to learn as much as we can, network and be engaged with what's going on in the company beyond just doing a standard 9 to 6 p.m. job. I also want to talk about one article that really resonated with me that you sent um, was dealing with publishing and plagiarism and copyright. I'm kind of curious to see how this affects your role in the clearance and licensing department, especially with, um, as we all know, like Robin Thicke and Marvin Gaye, they had a huge um, legal um, polarization, I guess you could call it, with blurred lines and people thought sampling. There were issues with that, with especially with Olivia Rodrigo and 
her new um, song. So can you talk us through a little bit about how this affects your world? Yeah. So the article we're talking about, it came from The Ringer and it was something I shared with Forbes ahead of time because my boss shared it with me and the other coworker who does the same job as me. Kind of thinking we both like to know, just have that kind of extra wisdom. And what the article was getting at is that you'd think song plagiarism is as simple as a person just outright rips off a song or something that clearly sounds like something else. But as the article points out, it's almost as if you have to just, it's like a landmine field and you have to think 10 steps ahead before you're even releasing the song in the world to think, am I making a song that sounds like something else but only because it uses the same notes or only because it vaguely kind of sounds like it. And if we go through anyway, without getting those artists permission, are we going to face a lawsuit? And so, for example, I didn't, I don't even know if it's mentioned in that article, but I was surprised to learn that the Ed Sheeran song, Shape of You, the co-writers of the song No Scrubs are credited or they get a piece of that because the pre-chorus of the song vaguely sounds like the song No Scrubs if you're listening. Mm. And then they also mentioned how Taylor Swift made a song that sort of sounded like I'm Too, I'm Too Sexy by Right Said Fred. So what they did is they preemptively paid off the songwriters of Right Said Fred just to avoid a lawsuit. So the first way, so how, what, how is that relevant to what I do? So it wasn't 100% that specific article or what's described, but I'll say just based off the way you asked the question, first of all, it helps us know, well, who does get credit? We need to know who, uh, if a song is composed by more than one person or by several people and they both have different varying percentages uh, within the song, uh, like m money they are to earn, we need to know who that is. But then it's also about, okay, if we're going to alter the song, if there's going to be some sort of remix, we need to make sure all those people, the owners of the song, that they're satisfied. That they have the publishing. Or sorry, I should say that everything is being done to the artist or whoever has the composing, publishing credits, the sync rights, um, to their liking, to their approval. And uh, there's also uh, about to what extent are we allowed to alter it or what, uh, or is, because you'll notice if you if you see a certain trailer, you'll see a song being used, but you notice it doesn't sound exactly <laughs> like the song. You'll be, you'll hear different booms or like different the sound effects added to kind of make it more match the tone of whatever you're seeing on screen. So those are the sort of politics we're thinking about. And at the time, at the moment, it's only something we're keeping in the back of our minds, but it's still interesting to know because I feel like that's changing every single day oh. or at the very least decades ago, artists weren't having that type of thought as they put out songs. No. And what's interesting to me is I've always thought this was a very controversial topic because you have um, sampling um, where artists can uh, use other people's works for a snippet into their piece but does that count and blur the lines of um copyright infringement i guess people say no some people say um it's stealing some people's work but i mean they do give credit to the artists but um i mean 
there's always a controversial topic about this because a there's only a certain amount of notes in music and b yeah. there's only a certain amount of creativity that people can spew so that's well and that's another thing i meant to address uh in your last question is yeah as far as sampling goes it's making sure that we are crediting everyone who's has that composer credit or who made the original beat and it's funny because back when sampling was kind of invented it was just sort of a given that you just take the song and it was a beat it was popular in hip-hop before eventually the artists were saying hey you're using my song and i think then it also becomes when the song is significantly significantly altered or remixed we do have to make sure that's noted that okay it might be a custom remix but this is still using the sample of whatever the original song is and then we need to make sure all those parties are compensated and it's not my department that's necessarily doing that but we have to make sure that that's acknowledged and <laughs> for the person who is whose job it is to make sure whose job it is to make sure everyone's paid and who's sure. uh, giving it, the clearance rights. Yeah, I bet it makes your job just more exciting, right? <laughs> On top of... Yeah, well, and it's and it's that same thing where our job is really just to advise these departments and let them know these are the parameters. <laughs> so it's only as much as in saying, yeah, these are the parameters. We have to be very specific about that. At the end of the day, it's not our final decision about what's getting put out or how these things are getting created. And as you have made your way through the music industry. You did three years at the agency, a couple years now at a big studio. Do you have any personal or professional goals within the music industry or just personally yourself? You know what I think is a great advantage of the type of position I'm in is that I can branch out in either direction. I'm fortunate to work for a company that's very encouraging, of especially if a person's not satisfied in their current position. They they can go elsewhere. They can they enroll you in mentorship programs. You can meet other people and learn about other departments and make those connections. And really, that's my general advice. No matter where someone's working is, because it's easy to for me especially to take for granted. Hey, you work for these places. They're all around you. Go find them. They'll help you. They'll talk to you. And so and it's funny because when I first was being offered the job or was coming very close to before I officially knew I was to work for where I work right now, I thought it was sort of an empty gesture, just, well, hey, that's just an obvious point if they're saying there's growth within the company, but at least where I work, it's very much not that, and that is an opportunity they offer. But then the other end of it is if I did want to work in music, I did know someone who worked for the exact same company as me, and then went on to work for a label, and it, it's kind of what I was saying earlier about what different positions exist in the music industry where there's the sort of the buyer role, the seller role. And mm -hmm. I think, I don't know if I would eventually become a seller and say, I'm going to work for this label and I'm going to go to different productions that you need to use our artists to, and use their music within your property or to promote or within the actual film or television program itself. I think it's a great job. I'm not sure I have time to figure out if that's where mm -hmm. I end up going or if I work within a different set that works in music clearance or licensing rights because then i i would think the buyer role is more someone's come you're the person who people come to you saying okay hey we see you own the rights or your company owns the masters or the publishing rights can we what rate would we need to use this in our film or 
TV show or within a trailer or a spot promoting the property. I have time to figure that out, but I uh, certainly am grateful I am where I am right now. Yeah, and it kind of aligns, that role aligns definitely with the agency side of things. Because again, agents are trying to make the most money for their clients and make them fulfilled and happy and satisfied by pitching to uh, venues, to uh, gigs in partnerships with brands or ads or in a film or licensing, etc. So it kind of goes hand in hand with that. And you already experienced the agency world, so you kind of have that acumen of what it takes to be a salesman. Yeah, and it sort of remains to be seen. I guess you don't really know until you're in it. I, I think my last job at an agency, I was seeing that in a slightly different angle where we had these writers or people working in animation doing the really specific roles like storyboard artist or supervising director. And the job was get them as well connected as you can and see if that leads them to being offered a job. And then once they're in the job, see, making sure all their needs are met and making sure that their work is coming out the way they see fit. So it's funny how with selling that can come in a different, in different areas where like we obviously, well, there are agents who are going to maybe act like, well, what can you do for me? How can you make me enough revenue where I'm getting a good 10%? But I remember my last boss, he was very much insistent when I first met him that, no, 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 I work for my clients. And I think that's the way you should work if you're in the selling role. But then um, in that, we did learn about the buyers and the politics of, well, okay, but if you're on the other end, you have to think about, these are my clients. And I, I guess I'm speaking more general where there's my old world of working with that type of talent representation. And then even if I were to work, mm -hmm. if anyone uh, interested goes into the music world or working in a similar position I am now where you're uh, thinking about, okay, you're coming to me to make it so I buy or I'm investing in whoever you're whoever it is you're representing or whatever it is you're representing. But then you have to think about, well, is that going to be so good that it leads to everyone keeping their job at the minimum or something we're able to sell where uh, because you pitch me someone so good or something so good that it yeah. was the thing that promoted, it was the thing that made us a valuable property. And... I guess to wrap up our episode for the evening, uh, do you have any tips or advice that you would share to either a college student, somebody in their 20s navigating this music industry or entertainment industry, trying to hone in on their craft? Any recommendations or advice? I have a few. So, <laughs> and I, I say this just in case anyone's wondering where, how I ended up where I was. The thing is, is that I graduated college six months early and what that did is that bought me time just to think about i wasn't ready to move from the bay area to la right away and i was just getting a little bit of work but then actually moving to la it took me close to a year to actually get a full-time job and i was doing a lot of unpaid internships and temp jobs to get there so the first thing i'd say is Make sure you have a plan for, you know, have a general sense of how people get jobs in your industry. A lot of places 
aren't interested in hiring college students just fresh out of graduation, holding their degrees in hand because they, at least in my experience, it was a little more about they wanted people who at least had the very basics of working, the, like you were saying, the soft skills, the knowing how to operate in an entertainment office. And that's why, mm-hmm. as much as I kind of resented it at the time, I understood right away why they they say you were they required agency experience or they required some kind of professional experience ahead of time because they want to know you're a sure thing you you can at least handle that much before they train you and then the <laughs> next thing is make sure you know but before you're even thinking about networking make sure you know how to present yourself how to sell yourself make sure <laughs> one of my biggest mentors he says the the best thing he says or he said if i had to interview someone and they my boss has said i only was allowed to ask them one question i'd say what do you bring to the table and that's a broad question but i feel like if you have an answer to that even if it's something an interviewer never specifically asks you that's going to be that's going to help you a lot make sure you know whoever it is you want to be figure out what they did. How did they get to where they were? If you know, if you have this, the more specific you are, the better it was. Initially, I wanted to work in television development. And so it was helpful for me to know, okay, you started at an agency, then you use that to work for a big company. And I learned that big companies, it's kind of a catch 22, but they're really only wanting to invest in people who have big company experience. So like if you have the college internship experience, if you don't have it, you're not hope not all hope is lost, but that might be just anyone who isn't getting traction right away. But just kind of learn like okay, this is the the path they went forward and I learned okay, they eventually made their way to a big company and they started as an assistant before becoming a coordinator, before getting promoted to an executive and cuz you're often asked in interviews, where do you see yourself in 5 to 10 years? That's that a great question. way to help guide your career. <laughs> yeah, it's a a cliched one maybe but that's why they ask or they're just curious like where you're going and and that's the other thing i would say is sharpen your interview skills even if you're just you you even need them just if you need a part-time job as you're picking up unpaid internships and don't think you're too good for unpaid internships even after college or even if you're I, i know a lot of places were able to look the other way and say yeah you can be an unpaid intern and don't have to take a college class or get credit but that was a way to learn more for me for to have something on my resume and even there's always the small chance they can promote you from within because you're already there you already get how it's working and that didn't work in my one unpaid internship i did post-college but it did give me an in as far as getting me into the temp agency a really exclusive one where i ended up at mgm and uh, always think about what you're doing next because you can't take anything for granted you always got to think ahead and I'm sure I'm forgetting a lot more helpful advice, <laughs> no, but then I'll really think I, I can end it since I've said a few things already. And I know we're trying to wrap up here, but I'd say uh, every, no matter what I was interested in from, I've been a hobbyist musician, people telling me about doing mu- music for live theater productions. I've asked about people who've done podcasting, people who've done kind of performance art. And I ask them, well, how did you do? What'd you do? Uh, Who should I talk to? And the advice that that seems kind of constant is just be a nice person. You just got to be someone who's willing to show patience and persistence. And I think it's, you'd think being nice is a given, but I guess you'd be surprised. There's a (laughs) lot of people who can tend to burn bridges or just don't come across the best. And 
you show someone who's worth help, you're worth helping and you're willing to stick it out. Uh, and especially if all you're like, I can't get a job, but I, if you're like me, it's like, I, all I have is on my resume is unpaid internships and a temp job that lasted a month or so. I, what I eventually learned is no, that's your badge of honor. That's proof that you were willing to yeah. stick it out. And I guess the final piece of advice, if you're in LA trying to pursue an entertainment industry career is don't leave. The, the, I remember someone telling me that, like, stick it out. You really got to do that. Yeah, uh, the people who left. Yeah, there are probably people way more qualified for the jobs I've worked in than me who just, it didn't work out for them. And they went elsewhere, even if it wasn't what they were really interested in. And um, I'm glad I didn't, <laughs> I, I kept pursuing this. I didn't yeah. really have a backup plan. Perfect. And and yeah, and I, I wouldn't say um, it never really ends. My journey isn't really complete. I don't think anyone's really is, or especially when they're around our age. But um, I'd say that much at least paid off. Uh, and I'm all the more appreciative of it. Very cool. I guess to wrap things up, just a quick uh, cool question. You were a roadie for Fleetwood Mac, so one of my favorite bands of all time in the indie... Fleetwood Mac tribute band, I should clarify. Okay. (laughs) Right, not the Fleetwood Mac. Did you get to meet Stevie Nicks or uh, Lindsey Buckingham or any of those people? Uh, The closest... Albums? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, so I have a few answers to that. The closest uh, Fleetwood Mac member I ever met was the ex-wife of Mick Fleetwood came to one of these. It was a band called Twisted Gypsy... And this was just through a really tenuous connection, a person who was an entertainment industry lawyer, but he was the Lindsey Buckingham at the time for this tribute band. And I just would set up their gear and their lighting, and Mm -hmm. I was going all around Ventura County driving around for them. And I learned enough of their songs to, uh, because my hope was, hey, maybe they can have me sub and play bass for them. But I... um, and I'll say, yeah, I mean, favorite album, I think it's Rumors, hands down. But um, I, I also have a few favorite tracks in the Peter Green era. And uh, within, of course, the 12 years, they were um, at their most popular. And the band ended up going on a hiatus, or I kind of forget what happened. I lost touch, but that was enough for me to brag about. Uh, well, hey, if you need someone who knows how to play a few different Fleetwood Mac songs on bass. I'm your guy. Rumors is one of my favorite and heroes are hard to find. That's another one too. That's really good. Yeah. Well, thank you again for being on the Media Industry Guru podcast, Jordan. Wishing you great success in the clearancing and licensing space and looking forward to seeing where your endeavors head. Thanks so much. It was an honor to be here. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Media Industry Guru podcast. Check out the Instagram at Media Industry Guru for all the details on the latest and coolest, I mean coolest upcoming episodes that you will hear. Email at Media Industry Guru podcast at gmail.com for any other interviews that you would like to hear or if you would like to be on the air and give a little promo or talk about yourself or just even chat with me because you know I'm I'm doing this I'm invested in this and tune in weekly 6pm Pacific 9pm Eastern on Tuesdays on the Anchor app Spotify Stitcher Pocket Cast Breaker and many more streaming platforms thanks again for all of the support and peace out and let's rock and roll Thank you.